into hell on a sunny day Follow the dogs in the rain Bumped into Jesus on the boulevard Asking the beggars for change I said, hey Messiah You got a minute I need to speak with you He goes, not now son I just gotta run Too many pressing more important things to do And I said, oh no, no Maybe once or twice But I don't remember a thing Cute strangers talking about some kind of paradise Guess I was drunk and kind of fell out of my wings And now the wall goes up and the gate comes down Nobody's letting me in All this pressure to be beautiful Tabernacles having trouble getting thin It's like, oh no, no Let's pretend There's nothing left to discard Oh, and Diary's been asking me Why is life so hard? Yeah, yeah, yeah Diary's been asking Why is life so hard? Time you take to get back on your feet from your big mistake. Cause the world goes on, it just don't wait for you. Yeah, I don't know what keeps me down. I turn my head, but it just turns around. And I don't feel bad. I just don't want anybody like I, I haven't it. To earth the other day I didn't like what I saw So I got back in my rocket ship Oh, I put the pedal to the blind It's like, oh no, no, not again Right back down that boulevard Oh, and Diamond's been asking me Why is life so
everyone, and welcome to this episode of the 9420 Podcast. So we kind of fooled you a little bit because our intro is actually a song called Dorothy by Charlie Dog. Hi, Carl and Greg. How are you guys doing today? Hey. Hey, Nicole. Hey, Greg. What's up? <laughs> well, it, it, so I, I was just saying hello. It's funny. Is it? Yeah. It it's is. like kind of become a thing because it's like you're just so, like so, so resigned it, to- So if I say uh, it nicely, it's like- so what obviously? How you jerks doing? Is that you? Hey, how you doing? <laughs> how you doing? Like hey. Joey from Friends. Uh, well, be- so I was going to say, believe it or not, can you guys be- think that in a week we will have launched the podcast a year ago? Wow. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, our first featured artist was Charlie Dog, so it kind of makes sense why this week we are featuring more of Charlie Dog's music. Yes, and Charlie Dog for those uh, th- for those. Legions of listeners that don't know, uh, it's Carl. Yeah, that was my uh, the big reveal. My my name back in the back in, in the, the day. Uh, in back, uh oh, that was my name ba- <laughs> back in the day. <laughs> and uh, I'm not getting the story as to why I changed it, but it was some stupid reason. And there's some earlier episodes I explained that. Maybe in the first talk, episode, a, talk a little bit about uh, Dorothy. Oh, Dorothy's just uh, you know again. Do you want me to pontificate about my my lyrics? Yeah, sure. Name? Go for it. Well, basically, you know, you know, I don't want to offend anybody, but I'm one of those recovering Catholics because I went to parochial school. And I even went to parochial high school. I went to Catholic college for two years, actually. So I did a lot of Catholic stuff, you know, so I'm very full versed in a lot of that stuff. So a lot of my imagery is based on um, that stuff, you know, you know, Christianity, you know, a lot of the, the Christian imagery. So that's how that starts out with the Messiah and stuff. And the then, icons, right? <clears throat> right. And the reason why I called it Dorothy, because I always thought Dorothy was kind of like, you know, a Messiah story too. That was kind of like she went to Oz, went to, you know, they're, they're very connected, you know, like just like Harry Potter to me is another one, another story like that. You know, Superman is that too. You know, all these icons are based off like the, the, to me, the Christian story of, of Christ, I believe. Yeah. That the same hero's kind of, journey kind right, of Right, exactly. Right, so right. so that's why I mixed the metaphors of, of, of the Messiah and, and Dorothy. And Dorothy meaning like someone who went to somewhere and came back with some knowledge or but but this in this in this trip she was kind of disappointed because she <laughs> she didn't she didn't meet the scarecrow. I you know she I don't know who she met, but she met anybody. Anyway, mm. so that's what the song's about. So it just it's just me being positive. <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's a great track. Great track. I love it. I, I um, I'm very happy that we are um, that I was able to convince you guys to uh, feature your music uh, this week. You called me out of the blue, right, a few days ago, and you caught me. I think in a rather uncharacteristic funk. The business of music it makes me crazy sometimes, and I. I've been depressed the last couple of weeks because um, I'm tired. I'm tired of the crusade. I'm tired kind of trying to operate with transparency and in the best interest of the creators of the writers and what we call in the industry, the rights holders, the people that make this music and the people that we all listen to their work product and enjoy it and uh you know it grounds us and we revere their work the backstory the 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 hidden stuff is difficult uh you know and we talk a lot about well isn't it it because the gatekeepers have changed 
Well, you know, I don't think I don't. I'm not sure the gatekeepers have changed, but you know, I was hoping the digital revolution. If you're going to devalue music by making it a stream, and you're not able, uh, you know, the rights owner, the creator, the artist, the publisher you're not able to sell a physical product anymore. The very least that could happen for us is the gatekeepers would go away. Right. That really has not been the How case. How could that happen? No, because this, this is what I feel has happened. The gatekeepers used to be back in the, ba uh -oh, <laughs> back in the day were, um, you know, the heads of the record companies and the heads of the publishing companies. But earlier on, they were, basically music-based people who knew about music and cared about songs and, and production, like, you know, Armand Edigan and, and Jack Holtzman and these guys from the 60s and 50s and 60s who started labels and stuff, they cared about music. But then it changed around the 80s, late 80s, and became more of a lawyer-based business. So the gatekeepers became more just businessmen, you know? And, and so it changed a bit there and they cared less about the art of it all. And now in the last 15 years, the gatekeepers have become these digital computer geeks, you know, who are more interested in algorithms and, and code than they are about actual music and art. But so they're not, but they're not gatekeepers in the classic sense of yes, the word. Yes, they are. Because, there's, because there's still the people who, who have you, your stuff is to be processed through their stuff to come out to the people. So they're the ones who are in charge of how people get paid. But it's all up there. You know, I mean, they're not telling you, no, your your record can't be on my service. They're saying, come one, come all. They're just not providing any discovery so that people can find your stuff once it's up there. And yeah, but I think that I think if that's your problem about discovery of why, because it's got, it's gotten so vast in my opinion. Well, it has gotten vast. You know, but, it used uh, to be where I, I don't know any numbers, but I'm just guessing. Let's say back in in 2000, how many records were released every every month? Maybe um, I think there was five thousand. No, 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 not nearly that many. I think it was like ten to twelve thousand a year. Okay, so that's that's the music. Now what is it? Fifty to hundred million thousand? How many records are released sure, all the time? Because sure. I mean everyone's flooding the market, so I just get extremely agitated and resentful by the classic middlemen, the 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 people that portend they're operating in the best interest of the artists, but in reality there's just a chilling effect and they're not doing what needs to be done in order for the rights holders and the creators and the artists to make any money. I'm just sick and tired of it. So the reason I'm happy that we're featuring your music this week is, is this, uh, this is long way around explaining what happened to me over the last week or two driving across town last night. I was telling Carl earlier, I, we got some food. And so uh, I get to the restaurant and I'm taking it home and they're like, it's an hour wait. So I trudge off into the uh, parking lot and I sit in my car and had a, an epiphany that when I feel this way, I usually return back to the music and I usually intensify my listening and that pulls me through. It pulls me off a ledge. It has done, it's done that for 20 years, 30 years. And so I happened to listen to one of Carl's albums up on uh, Rhapsody. Uh, 
which album is that, Carl? Is it uh, pure, pure and simple? simple? Those are basically like kind of demos that you made, right? In Nashville, yeah, back in 2007, yeah. I think. And I just, you know, it's like I sat there the entire hour, and at the end of it, I was like, this is why I am who I am. This is why I do this. This is why I give a shit. It's because music has metaphysical effect on me and it can pull me out of of these depressions. That's why it's music, man. That's why it's what it is. So that's the, that's the point I wanted to make is that I'm happy that we're featuring your music today because uh, um, regardless of your personality and our, uh, and our our difficult friendship, uh, I do revere your ability to uh, write. Nietzsche says, you know, music is the gods laughing, you know, um, so, yeah, I think music is great. Yeah, so, well, so because of this, you made me drag out some of these tracks now. <laughs> right, and right. And I believe there is also a debate around which ones to potentially feature as we get deeper into this episode. <laughs> I would like for you to feature in this week's podcast a song called um, You and Me. Okay, you know, but but again, now you're going to say okay because well, because well, what you want me to do, like you know, but you just you just as that because I, I never like you know being a performer, you never like explain anything. You just go right. out there and do it. You never try to make well, you know, never do a disclaimer because it's like you know it, it, it should be this blah blah blah. But you but, feel as if that song is incomplete. Well, it, well, I know it is. You know, it, it's 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 a demo for one. It's just the, the you know sonically, I don't love it because the guitar is recording. You know, it, it was in. Studio, but I was just two mics overhead, is like echo in the room, and you know, and lyrically, you know, vocally it's okay, and lyrically it's like I say a couple of good things, but it, it wasn't really finished, and and the middle I just kind of end, you know, I just don't really go anywhere with it, and then it can just come back, so it's it's an incomplete song to me. Very 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 early in the podcast, we talked about the, the kind of the origin of of writing and the origin of songs, and I think. We might have mentioned the idea that one of the ways in which people listen and one of the ways in which they're endeared to the music is they get to fill in some blanks, right? So I don't know if it's I'm filling in the blanks or uh, if I just... Well, if you want to get really heady about it, you know, which we could do, like... But isn't life kind of incomplete too? And isn't like who has complete thoughts in their regular everyday life? People just start things and feel things and it, it goes whichever way. It's not really some complete th- thing, you know? So it's kind of like uh, that, but in a song yep. form. So mm-hmm. if you want to hear it, I'll, I'll play yeah. it. Then you can, you can yeah, let's, it. Um, let's play it. When you're the whole thing, it's called You and Me. you get cold and need someone just to warm you could you wrap your arms around my soul cause man my body's worn through and let's not talk about it a passing time and blame back and forth across the table Leave it like we found it 
It's better off that way Isn't that a great track? I think it is. I remember when I wrote that, you know, I, you know, I went down to Nashville like in, well, I've been there since the late 80s, but, you know, in, in, in early 2000, I went there to go to live for a while. I figured, let me, because I never really was a co-writer because I'd met some people over the years. She come down to Nashville, you know, some co-writing. I go, yeah, that could be cool. So I went down there and I realized I am not a co-writer. You know, I sit in a room, you know, they think I'm like, uh, most of these guys think I'm a moron. They used to have this room at CSEC. I'm a CSEC writer. And they used to, I used to rent out the room. So I have these, these like songwriting appointments in, the, in that room in CSEC. Remember, Greg? Yep. And the guy would come in and they'd sit with me. Hey, how you doing? Because cause, uh, you or someone else, I, mm. you know, I think Tim Fink, I or what, they would set me up with, with co-writing. I set up, but yeah. And I'd sit with these guys and I think they'd leave going, why do they set me up with this guy? This guy's like an idiot. He doesn't know, he doesn't come up with anything. You know what I'm saying? Because like I just don't work that way. Right. You know, I don't. I'm not one like you know guns for hire kind of guy. You know, I got I sit and stress over a line and it takes me a week and that's how I write. And when I'm finally done, it's cool. But I'm not one of those you know you know moon June spoon. Let's get it out. Let's do it. You know I, I got to get right. it. So and uh, 
And this was one of those songs I was trying trying to write with somebody. And like, finally, they said, no, I don't. What do you mean? You know, you say you and me, but then you say me and you. So what is Which one is it? It's both, I, right? Yeah, it's yeah. both. That's the point. You know, yeah. it's like, and it also, it, you know, and there's one great thing you told me a long time ago. And I, I don't know if I'll cut this part out, but another song I have called Brave, right? And 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 in the line in where I talk about this little boy's apprehension, right? <laughs> and you said something funny about that. You know, playing the song goes, yeah, you know, but why do you want to talk about high blood pressure in the, in the middle of a song? Because you know? <laughs> I, I used the word apprehension. He goes, that's like you can't use the word apprehension. Who wants to sing about blood blood pressure? Yeah, and I said, funny. oh, another quick story. One last thing. I'll tell you this quick story about Bernie Ledden. When I met you back in in New York at this, I forget the, during the New Music Seminar. I'm playing, I do my set, I went up backstage, and I'm backstage after the set. This guy comes up and he goes, hey, man, great show. I go, oh, thanks, man, because it was solo acoustic. And he goes, I used to be in a band. He goes, oh, yeah. I go, what band? He goes, the Eagles. I go, really? <laughs> I, go, I, go, yeah, I go, really? Because I never heard of Bernie Ledge. I didn't know that Eagles that well, right? Mm-hmm, right? I didn't know that he was one of the first guys. So I go, oh, yeah, great, great. I thought he was full of, full of shit, you know, this guy's just bullshit. Right. Like, oh, good for you, buddy. <laughs> I left, I left. Anyway, we co-wrote together, right, for a while. You know, me and Bernie, because they hooked it up. I and, never uh, knew that. Oh, yeah. Well, it never happened. So I had this one song. I don't know if you know the song, Waiting for My Heart to Stop. You know, yeah, song? I think I, I'm familiar. He goes, you know, buddy, I, I like that song, but why do you want to write a song about wanting to die? I said, well, it's not about wanting to die. It's about stop being, a, you know, he didn't get the nuance of anything I was saying. People never got what I was, you know, was going for. So I've, anyway. Well, so, I think I, I think I certainly got it. I mean, that was, um, hell, that's the reason, you know, it's one of the reasons that the foundational kind of aspect of this, of this podcast is that I've gotten what you do for. And you know what that song's about? Since you know? 1994. Yeah, you were saying earlier that, you know, it's about breaking up, which is another interesting aspect of it for me, because I've been happily married for almost 40 years. Right. And, you know, it's like you're, when you're my, I hear my relationship idol, I'm telling you. Yeah, that's, you always say that. But when I listen to that song, I don't equate or relate it to breaking up. I, I've never had a breakup. I mean, I well, I never got close to well, anybody. What, it, what, what it's about you know, to me, it's about break up. it's about how when you break up, it's always this like, you know, angry, hate, hating and back, you know, and I said, why can't we just like, we tried, it didn't work out and let's, we you know. We gave it a shot. We gave yeah. it a shot and let's end like at least amicably. Simply. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And that's all it's about. You know, we tried it. You know, it was great when it was great. And that's not negate it. And, and I'm it's, like, it's I, kind I, of I, reflecting I, on the good times too, which a lot of people don't necessarily do when there is a breakup. So I like, I like the sentiment. And that's why I said, I think the song is very sinkable. Well, I hate that too. I hate that too about, um, you know, why do we do that when we break up? Why do we, like, I don't know, I've, I've met people who've broken up and they've been going out with someone for two years and they go, oh, it was a waste. No, it wasn't. You had two good years of, of a lot of good times. And, you know, why do you, why do when something ends, we negate the whole thing that, oh, well, then now it was a waste of time. Because it's, like, it's uh, easier to detach from something that you're angry with than to detach from something that you still have good feelings around. There's a funny story I heard from Eric Clapton. Eric Clapton, you know, was in love with Patty Harrison, George Harrison's wife. Everyone knows the story, right? Mm-hmm. So, and then he wanted to win her. And he, and he records Layla, right? The album Layla with bell-bottom blues and Layla. Like, it's an amazing album, Dirk and the Dominoes, right? 
He goes back and plays it for Patty Harrison, and she still won't leave George Harrison at the time. So he goes to his friends, what a waste. I did this whole record for nothing. <laughs> That's what he says. Wow. And like, it's in the documentary. He goes, what do you mean, what a waste? It's an iconic album. It's, it's a great record, you know, with like, you know, it's just how people think sometimes, you know, like, what a waste. That's crazy. Well, because his one goal was to like just to win Patty Harris was, right? was was to win this girl's heart, and because that didn't happen, it was a waste to him. But it was iconic for everyone else. Yeah, I, I think it's iconic for him too now because I think it's you know Layla is like one of his signature songs. You know. Anyway, we got some questions. Uh oh, what do we have? We have a question of the week. There we go. And what is the question of the week, uh, Nicole? It's what are your music career goals and what steps are you taking to reach them? Okay, so we had a couple of people answer. The first one was uh, Bridget Ryan, who we had, who we featured. Was it last week? It was last week. Yep. We featured, you know, one of her um, songs. Nice artist. So let's see what let's see what Bridget had to say. So my ultimate career goal is to be as authentic as possible. And we spent most of 2020 creating this brand around my personality and everything you see and hear is true and honest and comes from a really raw place. And we started to build this team that really believed in that and are honest and will tell me how it is. And I'm just so lucky to work with the people that I'm working with right now. And I'm hoping that that continues. Like my, that's my ultimate goal is to be authentic and to love my music. There you go. I, I, I think that's all you can be, really, right? Yeah, and at the end of the day, if she can make some money off of it, that's great. But I, I think for her, from what I understand, 2020 was kind of an eye-opener as to like what she really wants to do with her music and how to actually get that music out there so people can listen to it. I just read something that's pretty odd. It happens a lot. You get, you get kind of a, was it pigeonholed? Mm-hmm. As an artist, a lot of times, you know, in, in what you try to do about being authentic. And uh, it's happened in history. Like, you know, David Cassidy, you know, was a teeny bopper. That was his thing. That's what it made him. And then as he got more into it, he tried to become an artist or show his artist side. And no one was buying it because he was David Cassidy. Same thing happened to... um Rick Springfield, if you remember, Rick Springfield, you know, Jesse's girl, he was rocking, he was a pop idol back in the 90s. But then he tried to get serious and write some dark stuff after his father died. And his fan base wasn't buying it. Like, no, we ain't gonna, we don't want that from you. You know, you're, you're a pop guy. I just read something about Justin Bieber, how he's getting a lot of, a lot of grief from, from, you know, critics and, and fans. Cause he's, he's like quoting Martin Luther King on his new record, on his new, recordings and he's trying to be like you know anti-racism and try to like give a message and stuff and everyone's saying we don't want to hear that from justin bieber you know what i mean so now he's kind kind of typecast as like a pop guy we don't want nothing real from you you know what i mean so that's hard what do you what do you say about that greg or, or nicole i uh, I, you know, my my feeling is that what if we just uh, observe these folks going through a natural evolution, right? At, as artists, I agree. A perfect example is like, and it's true, and I'll, I'll be the first to admit, people certain, certain artists have established themselves as a certain thing, and because of that, like Lennon, John Lennon has always been considered the deep dark profound beetle, right? And McCartney's more the fluffy sing-songy beetle, let's say. So Lennon has a song on uh 
his first record called called um, Love. And basically it says, love is real, real is love. Love is feeling, feeling love. Love is needing to be loved. Real simple. But when Lennon sings that, it's given all this profound depth. It's more than just that. Now, if McCartney was to sing that, love is real, real is love, they, they would they'd be make fun of him. Because, oh, he's just being fluffy and stupid, you know? What is that I'm, I'm saying? It's called the uh, gravitas, you know? It's like we we ascribe a certain amount of gravitas. Like if Dylan's, Dylan writes something, oh, it's deep. You know, right. But if, it, but if it comes from Justin Bieber, oh, it it's got to be, be stupid. Well, you know and could it also be that because the way that I see it is when artists start to at least try and grow and maybe get into something different just because that's kind of where they feel led, you can almost look at it as that the people that's criticizing them may then not necessarily be a true fan. Because if you are a true fan of an artist, regardless of what they're doing, as long as the music is still good and it still is something that you're interested in, you'll follow them through their career. So maybe that's also something where these people only want to see a certain something out of someone and criticize them when they go somewhere else because they just they don't want to hear it and they're not necessarily that true fan. I think the um, I think that when you mentioned David Cassidy, I, I was recently reading some things on David Cassidy, and I think we one of the podcasts we talked about the idea about self awareness for 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 artists. Right. And I I don't think a lot of artists are actually self-aware enough to to appreciate the idea that yes, it's okay if you change and you want to evolve as an artist, but you can't expect the audience to go with you, you know? So do your own thing, but if the audience suddenly goes away, David Cassidy, I mean, he was those Partridge family records that were made Basically, how they made those was there was a group of musicians that basically wrote and performed the tracks. And then while the Partridge family was in production, he would run over to the studio and just sing the vocal and basically sing the vocal. And he would do it in one take or two takes. Incredibly talented guy. And, you know, I mean, obviously had it all going on as far as the kind of the pop icon, you know, uh, of the day. But maybe that was his talent, you know. So the idea that he wasn't self-aware enough to realize that he couldn't make an album like Pink Floyd that people were going to consume in that way. Maybe he should have been a little bit more self-aware. But again, you know what? That. But again, your audience, but I was a fan. Your audience should grow with you. And I think just nowadays, with the fact that there's so much exposure that artists can give to fans before something is released, that allowing them to maybe hear a little bit of it to see, not necessarily to see if they like it, but just to kind of give them a glimpse at to where you're going, as opposed to maybe when it was years and years and years ago, where they would have one album and then another album would come out that would sound different. To me, that means that you're at least allowing the fans to be in on the process. So it's not necessarily a blindside as to what this change is. And sometimes maybe artists just aren't doing that. So that's why some people are criticizing them because they don't really know why they're doing it. Well, what you what you should do as an artist is you should try to, if you do have a major audience that's like a Justin Bieber, it's crazy, you need to bring your audience with you. Mm-hmm. Whether you want to realize it or not, the Beatles were basically the Jonas Brothers of their day. You know, they, they were just these, cool, I want to hold you. Woo. 
you know, they, it was cute and funny and not deep at all, you know, but they like gradually started maturing as artists, you know, in front of everybody, you know, they, they, then it came out with, you know, Beatles 65 and they came out with help and, and got to hide your love away and they started getting a little growing. And then they came out with, with rubber soul. Then they came out with revolver. Then they got to pepper and they like gradually just started growing and, and, and the, the audience kind of went, grew with them. Well, you can't just be like, you know, I want to hold your hand and then do the white album, the next record. They're going to go, what are you doing here? You know what I mean? So I think there's a gradualness to it. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. I, I just went down just this week. I went down a rabbit hole on this, the Beach Boys and uh, and uh, uh, the Beatles, you know, that this kind of competition that they had based on Brian Wilson. I think and, the competition was in Brian Wilson's head more than anybody. <laughs> well, it's interesting because, I mean, basically he created Pet Sounds and the Beatles were very public about the idea that they were trying to beat Pet Sounds, right? So essentially what happened is that over time, I think the Beatles consistently moved forward and their audience moved with them. Whereas, you know, I not so much with the Beach Boys. I mean, they're, basically their genre remained the same. Well, because because I don't think they were a cohesive unit. You know, I I, I remember like back in like I, I know a bit about the Beach Boys too. You know, I, I've seen their bios where Brian Wilson quit after the first couple of years because he didn't want to tour anymore, so and he just sat home making records. So they're out there singing, you know, "Help Me, Rhonda," huh? Bah, 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 all that kind of nonsense. You know, "Bob, Bob, 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 Bob." You know, they're doing that, and he's back home in the studio doing this bizarre, like you know. God only knows stuff. Supposedly, when when they came back, like Al Jardine, well, the and, Smile record, and Mike Love, yeah. start hearing these tracks and going, Brian, what the hell are these things? We can't sing on these things. These ain't records. These ain't singles. These yeah, ain't. Love wanted to make bubblegum music. Yeah, they wanted the to, so they weren't a cohesive yeah. unit. Where yeah. where the Beatles were a cohesive unit, I think they all went that way. You know, they're all it together. Plus, the Beach Boys, I'm sorry, didn't have the charisma and, like you say, the gravitas. That the Beatles mm -hmm. had. Mm -hmm. The Beatles just were, they were like, it's starting to really wane, but still how influential they still are. Yeah, yeah. You know, they, those I mean, I, I, they just could, when I was looking at this stuff, it, it just seemed to me in retrospect like they just continually were trying to beat the next record, and they did that record after record after record, and every record was kind of heralded for something else. And they were able to do it, you know. Well, 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 well. Good vibrations was off that. Well, the smile record never happened. But yeah. what happens is, so, so Pet Sounds comes out and gets like you know, Luke Warmy has a hit song with like you know, what is it? Wouldn't it be nice? Was on that record and stuff. Anyway, so the Beatles come out with Pepper though, and that's heralded as like a masterpiece. Right. And he's going what? So he comes out with Smile. He's going to do his thing, and then he just kind of loses it. He goes, "Why are these guys getting like you know so much praise for what they're doing? And I was doing it before them, and I'm just you know." And he and he kind of freaked out and imploded, basically. Right, you know? exactly. So consistency, uh, you know, consistently kind of changing, evolving, and bringing your audience along with you. That doesn't happen very often. That's pretty rare, actually. I mean, you, it happened with Bowie, although I think you could make a case for the idea that Bowie was experimenting and he was actually adding audience. He was getting a different audience for his serious moonlight period 
than he had oh, I, for, I think, well, see, Bowie's another yeah. whole, we, he can do a whole thing on yeah, Bowie. Because oh, if he has me as the Beatles, and then yeah. to me, Bowie is like, yeah. it's like, he's like his, I don't know what he was even doing, man. He was just like, he didn't, I don't, I don't think he cared. And he just committed. And he was just like, listen to some of those records, really. Listen to fame. Listen to like, mm. you know, listen to the way that record, it's, listen to like, you know, we are the goon squad and we're coming well, some, for some, you. Uh, beep, beep. <laughs> like, what the hell is that well, some know? uh some some of the some of the tracks on some of those albums are pretty unlistenable ground know? control uh, no no those are what those is, are iconic is anthony tracks, yeah, but, but, the, but they are iconic now but if you look at them you know in there objectively as records like these are bizarre pieces of music they're like almost like show tunes some of you know well i mean you know he was very influenced by i, I love this Newly, right? that he was influenced by anthony newley i think we talked about that before uh, and I love that because you know I get accused of and being so weird in my and his, taste, and and, and his, uh, he was just yeah he I'm was an another. Anthony Newley fan, you know. You want to get to the next uh, answer? Oh no, we still got questions. We, we yeah. still have we still have one more answer that we'll feature this week. We're talking today, baby. <laughs> uh, um, so the next answer that we have is from Olivia Harms. Is she an artist? She Do is. Know her? Mm-hmm. Hey there, my name's Olivia Harms, and I'm a traditional country singer-songwriter from Canby, Oregon. Um, I'm currently commuting back and forth to Nashville to do a lot of songwriting, to do some networking, I have some meetings, so I'm excited to see what kind of opportunities Nashville holds for me in the future. But my biggest goal with my music is just to keep sharing my songs and experiences uh, with other people and see how they relate. I think that's one of the biggest reasons that people listen to music, is uh, they just want to feel like... They can relate, and uh, there's someone else in the world that has experienced what they're feeling, whether it be uh, an exciting new night out at the bar or maybe sitting home heartbroke. We all just want to turn some music up and hear that someone else has been in our shoes. So that's my favorite part of what I get to do is share my stories and hopefully help people through whatever point in life they are dealing with. Um, so I just continue to write, and I continue to work on uh, sharing my music and play live as much as I can in these crazy times. But I am so excited excited that the ball keeps moving forward and uh, just writing and writing and playing and playing. I think that's the, the best part of what I get to do and the best way to keep it moving forward. Uh, but I hope I get to see you guys sometime down the road. Uh, feel free to check out OliviaHarms.com or Olivia Harms on Instagram or Facebook. She promoting. She is promoting. I like she. I like how she said heartbroke. Her <laughs> official hashtag is bring back honky tonks. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got your heart broke. Yeah, I like that. Speaking of heartbroke, you got another uh, depressing heartbroke song for us, Carl. We do. We're gonna finish out, or you're gonna finish out. With yeah, we're gonna we're gonna finish out, and then we'll we'll bring everyone to hear the lovely song of Ugly Train. Right? You want to do Ugly Train? Yeah. So Ugly Train, just a, a little before it plays, what it's about. Ugly Train. I was living in Amsterdam, of all places. Right? I don't know if you've ever been there, but it has the whole the whole town has all these like kind of trolley cars get go through the whole town like kind of like they don't have a subway system they have above ground trolleys like on tracks that go through the city and it's pretty a literal song so one day i just happened to get one one of the trolleys i was going somewhere and i got in this car and there's maybe 20 people in the car and I, I i don't want to sound crass but everybody was like but ugly <laughs> Like, it was the ugliest bunch of people I've ever seen. Like, not one attractive, like, really, uh, but not even just kind of ugly, like, ugly people. Like, <laughs> I'm going, oh, man, I'm on the ugly train. <laughs> you know? 
<laughs> I'm going, and then, then I started thinking like about about not using the metaphor of being like you know. I think uh, what's his name? That was that writer, short people. Who was that? Randy Newman. Randy Newman, right? So it was my kind of short people about you know you were like ugly people, like you know we're just ugly and not really our facial. It's who we are. And using the metaphor of ugly, I was on the ugly train, and I think I'm attractive. Maybe I'm not as attractive as I think I am. So that's what ugly train's about. So it's silly, but. I was actually on the ugly train. <laughs> ugly train in Amsterdam. Been there. You've been on the ugly train? Uh, all right, let's get out of this episode. Thanks so much, everyone, for listening all the way through the end of this episode. For everyone who wants the links to anything that we've talked about, you can go to our website, which is www.9420.com. That is the numbers 94 and the letters T-W-E-N-T-Y. Until next time, we'll talk to you all later and have fun listening to Ugly Train on your way out. I go 